0: Take your Bible if you would. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number nine, and um, I very much so impre- uh, appreciated uh, the last message there about uh, street preaching and public ministry. Uh, tremendous, tremendous! I believe that God wants us to have a great witness. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and God's not done giving. And God has given me to a community and God's given you to a community that whosoever believeth in Jesus, in God, might have everlasting life. And God gave and God is giving and God's giving through you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it's really uh, Paul is, is presenting a plan and I'd like to present four steps to this plan of how to bring friends and family to Christ. How to see people saved. Now, let's start off with this question. How many of you here today know and are friends with lost people? You know somebody, they are lost. And you, that's good. That's good. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand, um, that's not a good thing. There was a time in my life where I couldn't raise my hand. I, I didn't know any lost people. And, and that was somewhat reasonable because I was, uh, it was not time yet. I was being uh, kind of greenhoused in, in the Christian environment. And I think that's, that's good and that's safe. And, and there is a time for that. But eventually, you need to get out and you need to meet and befriend sinners. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and, uh, verse number, uh, 16 and 17 will present our first step on how to bring someone to Christ. And, and just as we begin, I want you to think of the face and the personality of that person that is lost, that you know. Now, I don't know them. And your, your friends over here on this side, they don't know them, but you know them. And you might be the only person that can bring them to Christ. You very well could be the the heaven-sent ambassador to present the gospel to them. And if you don't do your job, that job isn't going to get done. You are that evangelist. You are that witness. Charles Spurgeon said this even if I were utterly selfish and had no care for anything but my own happiness, I would choose, if I might, under God, to be a soul winner. For never did I know perfect, overwhelming, unutterable happiness of the purest and most ennobling order until I first heard of one who had sought and found the Savior through my means. God uses means. God saves. It's it's a miracle. But God uses means. And I believe God wants to use me. And I believe God wants to use you. God wants to use us in a great way. God's not done with America. God's not done with your community. God's not done with your neighbors. When he is, they'll be dead. But they're not dead. And they're living, and they're making money, and they're paying bills, and they're running around, and God is giving them opportunities. They used to teach in sales that it takes three touch points for someone to be convinced of something. They've got to see a billboard, and they've got to hear something on the on the radio, and then a friend might say, "Hey, you know, I I've uh, got this over here," and you, wait a minute. And all of a sudden you're convinced and you'll do whatever it is that they want you to do. But now in the information age, they say that has increased to about 8 to 12 touch points. In other words, somebody has to hear about, in our case, salvation, Jesus Christ, church, righteousness, heaven, hell, 8 to 12 times. Now, certainly, uh, God is, is on the move, and God, can, and God can come in and do whatever God wants to do. But realize, it's not just a one and done. I, I, think, I think a salesman would be, um, just, just speaking humanly for a moment, I think a sa- salesman would be um, not doing a good job if he said, well, I presented my, uh, you know, whatever it is, soap or pizza or car to somebody, and and that's it. I did my job. Oh, no, we've got to be faithful. As a matter of fact, I think that's our first point. If you are going to see somebody saved, you've got to have, and just jot this down, you've got to have a steady witness. You've got to have a steady witness. Verse number 16 says this. We're in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse number 16. For though I preach the gospel... I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispute, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. We ought to have a a steady witness, a willing witness. Now I remember in high school, um we had a pastor in in Boise Idaho that was convinced that Christians should be in the public school system and so my parents sent me to the public school and man I was uh I was uh ready I I had memorized of course the uh the Romans road and I had gospel tracts and I even brought my bible uh to school there at the public school and I would go in and and I would slip tracks through the lockers around me the little vents on the lockers and I would give them to other people for about two or three days and then I would get overwhelmed and uh boy I would be I'd be silenced until um you know the next big crescendo at church and man I I'd, I'd come and cry, uh, cry at the altar and I'd pray lord help me to be a witness I want to be a witness and I would come back in and I'd surge forward and but I, I, I was not very steady. I was very inconsistent. And I, I didn't see anybody saved because of my witness in high school. Um, I do think God wanted to use me. I, I felt it wasn't just emotional inspiration. I think the Lord was, was saying, Brad, I, I want to use you. But I just I wasn't steady. I wasn't consistent. I would surge, and then I'd fall off. And I think Paul's saying here, I've got to have a willing, steady witness. Now, I'm just like you. We're all painted with the same brush. We get tired. But you can't get tired of the work. It's okay to get tired in the work, but not of the work. And Apostle Paul is bringing out... um, many different things. We're going to look back at 1 Corinthians 9, just a little study of 1 Corinthians 9, the whole chapter I'd like to study. Uh, but you've got to have a steady witness. We're not really meant to be reservoirs of truth and then just dump a whole bucket on somebody. But it should be a steady river of blessing. Every Time somebody meets you. There's just a word. It's just a steady stream. Are you a steady stream of truth? Are you a a consistent river of eternal truth? That's what we should be. That's what we should strive to be. God doesn't really want us to be that undercover Christian. There's really no room for the secret service. Christianity. And I, man, I was a captain in the Secret Service there. Uh, you've heard the story about the, the man. He, 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 he saw this young boy out there with a baseball and a baseball hat and an old mongrel dog. And, a boy, and the man said, man, hey, son, that's a nice dog you got there. What kind of dog is that? He said, that's a police dog guy said, well, it doesn't look like a police dog. He says, it's in the Secret Service. <laughs> it's undercover. And listen, Christians, we, 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 we need to get out and present the truth. We need to come out bold and clear and clean. People should know that we belong to Jesus. And not for the wrong reasons, for all the right reasons. Do you have a steady witness? And let me give you the second little point here. We read verses 16 and 17. Let's read verses 18 and 19 now of 1 Corinthians 9. Not only a steady witness, but it should be a sacrificial witness. It says in verse number 18, What is my reward then, verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel? For though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself, and what's the word? Let's say that one more time. What's the word? Servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Not only a steady witness, but it should be a sacrificial witness. When we um, left New Guinea and came to D.C., uh, boy, I was nervous. Uh, we, um, We didn't know anybody in D.C. I really had no political ambitions um, I, I knew no one. Uh, we arrived there at the airport, uh, Reagan National, and we had nine suitcases and two guitars. And we got off the plane and nobody was there to meet us and we got a taxi, went to the hotel and, uh, that next week I bought a frisbee and a football and a baseball and we went to the park I said, hey, Let's, everybody let 's go to the park, meet somebody, and make a friend we 're starting a church <laughs> and we started out there and and it 's amazing we started meeting different people. people would start coming to church boy they would they 'd like it uh, by church I mean just wherever we would we 'd meet we would meet on the sidewalk we 'd meet on the park benches and we 'd sing songs and we 'd try to make it culturally appropriate the best we can and we uh, we found a A place to meet. Uh, Residential Capitol Hill is about 18 blocks long. And it's uh, to the east of the Capitol building. To the west of the Capitol building is the National Mall. But to the east of the Capitol building is uh, Residential Capitol Hill. uh, 18 blocks long to the John Philip Sousa Bridge. And and we're on 9th Street. So we're right in the middle. And uh, on Pennsylvania Avenue. There we are. And there's a building that Abraham Lincoln had commissioned as a Navy, a Navy hospital, right part of 8th and I, Marine Barracks, Washington. And uh, we meet right there. And it's amazing. Uh, we've been there for about eight years now. And uh, we just try to find out what different problems are and, and try to be the solution the best we can to what, uh, whatever people's felt needs are. Now, fe- felt needs don't help anybody. But Jesus went about doing good so that he could present the truth himself. And if you can't get somebody's attention, it's going to be very difficult to help them. Many times, preachers seem like they're asking everybody else to sacrifice, and they are the recipients of everybody's sacrifice. Um, when we, we started our church, we, we decided we weren't going to take an offering. And then people started coming up and asking and saying, where's the offering? Where do we give? Well, that's a good problem to have. So we put a little box out there and, and people started giving that way. It's an amazing thing. Why did we do that? Because there was just this terrible enigma of preachers um, taking advantage of everyone. And so... Said, we're not here to take advantage of everybody. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Apostle Paul is talking about. Now I want to review here. We we jumped into verse number 16, but I want to go all the way back to verse number one. In 1 Corinthians 9, in verse number 1, Apostle Paul is being attacked. Now he is the man, he has met the Lord. Uh well, look at that. Am not I an apostle? And he is being um, he is being accused of being a, a phony, but he says. Am not I free? Have not I seen Jesus Christ our Lord? One of the qualifications there of being an apostle. Are not ye my work in the Lord? He says, I've got fruit to prove this. Verse number two. If I have, if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. And, and by the way, don't be afraid of people Examining you. You see that word right there in verse number three? People have to examine you. And I would love to just be a a signboard pointing to Christ. Come to Christ. But you know what? People examine you. You will be examined and scrutinized. As a matter of fact, people have to believe in you. Many times, people have to believe in you before they'll believe in Christ Now we're saying, believe in Christ, I'm nothing, I'm the messenger, I have. But if I haven't received the truth and been changed and uh, be the model of whatever it is I'm preaching, people are gonna, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Their exam. Verse number four Have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? as the brethren of the Lord, and, and Cephas, speaking of Peter there, or I only, and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? Or goeth, who goeth a warfare uh, any time of his own charges? He's saying, listen, I was sent, I was sent. Who planteth a vineyard, and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock, and eateth not the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or say not the law the same also. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you Old Testament biblical illustrations uh, that a that a farmer or 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 anybody that's working they are going to receive wages. They are going to receive of the fruit of the of their labor. Verse number nine. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. In other words, here's a beast of burden and they're working. You don't stop him from eating. You gotta, you gotta let him eat. You don't abuse these animals. And it's an illustration of, of us as workers of the Lord. And, and here we are. We're assembled today. We are these workers of the Lord. Doth God take care for oxen? Then it's, it's like, uh Jesus, and, and speaking of the sparrows, does God care about sparrows? He does, but he cares more about you. Does God care for oxen? Y- yes, but he cares more about you. And God wants to take care of us. And God wants to take care of Paul. He's getting to his point. Verse number 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in what? In hope, and he that thresheth in what? In hope, should be partaker of his what? Hope, and hope in the Bible is always tied to Christ. Hope can almost be a bad word if we are neglecting our duty. And I'm failing, and I'm actually planning on neglecting my duty, but I hope somebody else picks up the job. That's not what hope's about. The right hope is I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm doing this in hope. I'm putting perfectly good food, seed, in the ground in hope that God will water it and God will give sunlight and God will do the miracle and it will turn into the next plant. But it would be wrong to just keep the seed in my pocket or in my storehouse or eat the seed and then hope that God gives me a harvest. The right harvest comes through doing what I can do and hoping in God, not hoping in everybody else. Three times the word hope is mentioned right there. Verse number 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we should reap your carnal things? And here he is, is talking about receiving a wage, a salary. If others be partakers of this power over you, Are not we rather? He says, man, we deserve a salary. Nevertheless, we have not used this power. Now, he said, we've got to have a steady witness, and we've got to have a sacrificial witness. And that's what he's saying. He says, I am not taking advantage of you. I could claim apostleship. I can claim a salary. I I certainly have this right, but I'm here sacrificing for you. And I could... Others could do it, and I more than they. Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. He's saying, I don't want to get in the way of what God is trying to do. So we as ministers, you as a Christian and young people, let me get your attention. You are not too young, you are not too little to see a miracle from God. And God wants to use you and I. God has not done saving people. God has not done with our communities. You can see a miracle, a miracle. I was preaching one day and and our church is, is small our church building that is. It holds about 100 people. And when I say it holds 100 people, I mean it. I've got a little tiny skinny pulpit that I could not hide behind if I had to. <laughs> and a little tiny one. And the back curtains behind me, I can reach back and touch. And I can reach forward and fist bump the guys on the front row at the same time. I'm right there and they're all huddled around. When everybody stands up. You can't see anything. It's we're We're shoehorned in there. It's pretty good. The singing is amazing. Now the Lord's blessed and we've got an overflow room over in this room. We've got an overflow room over in this room. We've got these little TV uh, uh, cameras and, and uh, screens. It, it, it's like a big production, but it's on miniature scale. And, but there's no other way to get other people to see. And it's amazing what God is doing. God's not done. God wants to do amazing things. I I believe the best churches are yet to be built. All the glory days are not done. God is waiting on his return. He's waiting for something great to be done through you and through me. Verse number 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? That they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which. And let's say this uh, last part of verse number 14 together nice and loud. That they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And, and Apostle Paul is saying, listen, uh, uh, I'm a preacher and I, I, I should preach and I should preach of the gospel. I should live of the gospel. That's what his point is. But he follows it right up with verse 15. And let's say this together. But I have used none of these things. Apostle Paul said, I have every right to collect a salary. I have every right to receive physical things from you. I have ministered the Lord's things, the holy things, the spiritual things. But I haven't used that leverage, that opportunity. I haven't done it. Because I don't want to hinder the gospel. I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things. That it should be so done unto me. I haven't written you a letter asking for this for you. For it were better for me to die. Than that any man should make my glorying void. Now here's what Paul is saying. He said, he's not poor mouthing. He's not trying to say. Oh you haven't done a good job. He's saying. Opposite of that, he's glorying, he's saying, man, look what God has done at at this place, Corinth. There's a church there, there's holy people, they're living right and doing right. Well, not always, but I had to write that one letter, but they're, they're, they're moving forward, that's what he's saying. He's glorying this, in this, a steady witness, a sacrificial witness. Now, remember what we said, that very first message, the first night, Paul's motivation, and I think it carries through here in Romans 1 and verse number 14, he said, I am debtor. His attitude, I'm a debtor. And he said, I'm ready. And he said, I am not ashamed. And that's what our attitude should be. And and that's what our first message here today was all about. I'm a debtor, so I'm going to do crazy things. I'm going to I'm going to stand up and preach a sacrificial witness. Apostle Paul is giving up personal rights because he is more aware of a greater responsibility to God. And so we need to ask ourselves that. I need to ask myself, you need to ask yourself, am I giving up personal rights? Because I am aware of a greater responsibility to God. What am I giving up for the glory and the honor of God? A steady witness, a sacrificial witness. But Paul goes on a little bit further in verse number 20. And he talks about being a strategic witness. Now, many times God will have you... Uh, give out tracts or a witness or a word, just any given random place. But there should be some strategy in our approach. Verse number 20, we read 16 and 17, we read 18 and 19, and now verse number 20. As unto the Jews, and unto the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. See that strategy? To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. What are you talking about, Paul? Uh, Being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And let's say this all together. We're in verse number 22, the last part. Here we go. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. This is the art of accommodating himself to others without compromising his convictions. The the art of accommodating without compromising. There in D.C., I'm always asking myself, who. Is winning who? And to be honest, several times Deborah and I have had to take a step back and say, "Okay, we well, we can't be doing that anymore," and we have to adjust a little bit. Yeah. My great grandfather was a pastor in Norway, on the little island of Velroy uh, up in the North Sea. And everybody was a fisherman, and um, my great uncles there uh, still have fishing boats and go out and uh, the North Sea and fish and My grandfather, the age of eighteen, immigrated and moved to Minnesota and then moved to california and uh, he was lost. His dad was pastoring there in um, in norway and As a pastor, he was lost as well. There was a ministry that Charles Haddon Spurgeon's wife started translating all of uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon's uh, sermons that he had written for the newspapers on Tuesday morning and and getting them translated and shipping them out to pastors. Well, my great-grandfather received... A book of sermons. Now, he was lost and discouraged, and his people were all lost and discouraged, and they, were, they would have quit, but there was nothing else to do on the island but fish, so they came to church anyways. And so he asked the congregation, can I just read these sermons? And they all said, yeah, we got nothing else to do. So he read those sermons, and one day after reading one of those sermons, he repented and trusted Christ. And the people in the church repented and trust in Christ. And there was a little revival on the island of Velroy. Well, they were very concerned about their son that had left the island, my grandfather, and went to Minnesota. And they wrote him a letter telling him about the book and the sermon and the revival and trusting Christ. But he was no longer in Minnesota. And he had went on to San Francisco And uh, was pursuing different things. And he was on the streets. And he was very discouraged. My grandfather. And he heard a a drum. And he could faintly hear some brass instruments. And he wandered through the streets. And reverberating off this wall and that wall. uh, Sure enough, there was a, a band. And it was the Salvation Army Band. And then somebody would give, get up and preach a little message. And then they would play. And then somebody else would give up, stand up and give their testimony. And then they'd play another song. And then, and then somebody else would stand up and preach. And my grandfather walked across the street, met some people, told him he was lost and came from Norway and fumbled around in English. And then, right there on the streets, right in front of the of the band, almost in the street, got on his knees and repented and trusted Christ as his savior. That was on my mom's side. Now, my dad, my dad was raised in uh, in Los Angeles, uh, surfing, and he was just a few blocks from from the beach, and he he grew up like that, and he. Uh, He got a job uh, working at a company uh, doing lettering uh, for different um, um, uh, stores for their sales and stuff going on. He was working with a guy named Jack. And my dad and Jack would go around to different stores and, and Jack would draw these little cartoon people. And my dad would put the lettering in the little cartoon bubbles that came out. Dad was lost and Jack was a Christian. And Jack was a very shy guy, but would witness to my dad. Dad lived outside of the city, but they worked downtown. And so when dad would park the car, he would often have to walk a long way to make it to the office to meet Jack, and then they'd go out on these jobs. Well, almost every morning my dad would hear, reverberating off the walls, off the giant buildings in downtown L.A., somebody preaching. He never, ever met the man. But he, he would hear the word, the Bible, and God, and heaven and hell. He he never really heard a sentence, but he just heard these things. And would mock the guy, and, but... His co-worker, Jack, would always defend this guy. Yeah. And at lunch, Jack would bring out this big uh, piece of paper, and he was drawing some cartoons. My dad was asking him about it, and he was saying, well, this is actually a gospel track that I'm designing, and uh, I'm going to, you know... Pass it out to people. My dad was like, oh, that's great. I, I want to be a part of that. I'll do your lettering. And Jack was like, no, you, you're rejecting Christ and salvation. And no, this is not for you. Oh, that, my dad didn't like that. One Friday, Jack Chick was witnessing to my dad and, and uh, I was telling him about how that when, you're, when you become a Christian, all things are become new. And I said, yeah, that's, that's good. And uh, went, and that Friday night, he worked as a, at a, as a bouncer in a little, a little bar-type place and, and Saturday and Sunday, and, and then came back to work Monday just dragging himself in. And Jack, he's always at his desk. He's always sitting up straight, and he's super uh, astute, and he's working on his track. This was your life. a great big thing. And he said, hey, Dennis. Anything new? And my dad said, "Ain't nothing new." What are you talking about? Went and sat at his desk, and the Lord brought to his mind all the things of that previous witness. And right there at his desk, my dad trusted Christ and was saved. Yeah, yeah. You need a strategic witness. It needs to be steady. It needs to be sacrificial, and it needs to be strategic. Now, by strategic, I don't mean everybody accepts it. My dad never did meet that street preacher. It might have been a good street preacher. It might have been a bad street preacher. I don't know. My dad only heard a few words, and you don't know. Some plow and some plant and some water and some harvest, but God gives the increase. Amen? A strategic witness. That is, maybe jot this down. You need to be spiritually distinct without being socially segregated. Spiritually distinct without being socially segregated. That is, you are not to be a weirdo for your own Oddities, But you should be definitely connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this about about Jesus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. You know this verse. For such an high priest became us who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Luke 7 and verse 34, the Bible says, The Son of Man has come... And Jesus is speaking here. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. You know what? Jesus was distinct. He was separate from sinners. But he was a friend. What does that mean? That means... I can't be going with sinners to places that are bringing about corruption in my life. But I should be eager and going out of my way. Seeking opportunities to meet sinners. Brother, Brother Marshall asked me to just talk about some of the things that we've done there in. On Capitol Hill to reach people. One thing we found was people play softball a lot. So, hey, get your hat. We're playing softball. And there's a church league. We didn't join the church league. I didn't want to meet church league people. There's a congressional league. We got sponsored by a congressional office, and we played in the congressional league. And we've been playing in that league, I guess, these seven years now. (laughs) What's our name? Four score and seven runs is the name of our... (laughs) Of our softball team. <laughs> and we get in there and we play. And you know what? We meet all kinds of people. All kinds of people. You need to find ways to meet sinners. Jesus met with sinners. Now, he was not sinful. He was not gluttonous. And he was not a winebibber. But he was accused of it. Falsely. Falsely. You need to be culturally appropriate. We were missionaries in New Guinea. What we did in New Guinea is different than what we do on Capitol Hill. In New Guinea, we wore flip-flops. Now on Capitol Hill, we work with flip-flops. That's what happens there. (laughs) Now, you're going to struggle, depending on your personality, with one of these three things. One, legalism. And that is... That is the group of people that sees the law as their master, legalism. Or licentiousness. They're the ones that see the law as their enemy. They're rebelling against every form of, of offense that would keep them from anything that is wrong. But the, the correct way is liberty. That is, the law is my friend. Apostle Paul said, the law is good. The law is good. No, the law doesn't take you to heaven, but the law is good. I'd like to cross-reference here real quick with you over to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to give you three things more on the on the spiritual side. Now, I've given you sort of practical, a steady witness, a, a sacrificial witness, a strategic witness. But if you are to see people saved, and I believe God has sent you and commissioned you, empowered you, Because someone is to be saved. When I called my pastor, Rick DeMichael in Idaho, and I said, The Lord's called me to Capitol Hill. And I was nervous. I thought he would say, Boy, get back there to the jungles of New Guinea. But he didn't say that. He said, Man, that is wonderful to hear that God's calling you, and he's going to, he says, You get there, you'll be surprised. God has someone waiting for you. Deborah and I went there, we're looking around, we're looking for the person that was looking for us. We still haven't found that person. (laughs) But God is doing miracles in all kinds of different ways. Every way we reach, this is amazing, we come up with all kinds of crazy things to do. I mean crazy. And we will reach and reach and extend ourselves, spend money and exhaust ourselves doing this. And you know who comes to church? None of those people. Yeah. 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 All of a sudden, we turn around and people walk right in the church. Hey! And then we got another idea. And I mean, we spend and exhaust ourselves. And we fall into bed. Whoa! We're broke. We spend it all. And none of these people come. And these people over here came. We just had somebody walk into church that we gave him a track. He said, like, Three or four years ago. And he came Sunday. He had no idea what was going on in church. I'm trying to preach. He's standing up and fixing this. And I'm like, sit down. (laughs) Anyways, three more spiritual things. If you're to see people saved, number one, get your life right with God. Get thoroughly right with God. In the harbor of your heart, is there any unconfessed sin? Is there anything that you've just made a truce with that God's declared war on? Declare war again. Enough with the, enough with the truce with sin. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Realize you're in a war, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Listen, every element of our life should be above board. People, when they examine us and are trying to take hold of something in our life, should not be able to find a thing. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your what? Good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a day coming. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That goes beyond reason or My agreement, it's the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, verse 14, or unto governors or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Verse 15, for so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You ought to be the best neighbor. When it snows, you ought to say, praise God, you've got your shovel ready to go and you get your neighbor's yard first. if it's going to be counted good. I mowed my neighbor's yard earlier this summer. His name is Sonny. And uh, he was embarrassed. And I was joking around. I'm just, yeah, I was just mowing. I got this, this mower and I was just mowing. I was just kind of just trying to make it nothing. And he was embarrassed. And so the last two times I haven't mowed his yard, because my good was not counted as good. I had good in my heart, but it, it didn't work out the way I wanted. And so I've got to be strategic, and I've got to be sensitive. And you've got to be sensitive, and you are working in a unique area with unique people. You've got to get your heart all the way right with God. You've got to have a steady, sacrificial, strategic witness. Not only a life right with God, but a heart filled with love. Verse number 16, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. A life right with God, a heart filled with love. And verse number 17 Speech filled with honor: Honor all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the honor all men. Now, we're on Capitol Hill, and there is no end of political jokes that can be told. If you run out, there's a whole new list that comes out every single day on CNN. <laughs> but I really stay away from political jokes because what's it going to get me? Cuz my job is not to point out the the wrongs in the government although there's a a bunch. It's really not. My job I've divided into four groups of people. We have the Marine Barracks Washington just a few blocks from our church building. There's about 11 to 1500 young men about 18 to 21, that are there at any given time. That's the first group. There's also a group of interns. Oh, I mean, interns from everywhere into the 435 different uh, offices scattered throughout. uh, Well, they're on, on, on Capitol Hill, but representing all the different places scattered throughout our nation. These interns, and these are just kids right out of college. And then there's the staffers. And then there's the people that actually own and live on the hill. Those are my f- four groups that I'm really working for. And I go, okay, should I tell this joke? It is hilarious and it is true. Who am I going to reach with that joke? What do I use to do my job? What's my job? My job is to see these people saved. My job is to see these people grow. My job is to is to gather them together and get them to commit to Christ and commit to each other. And so everything I say and everything I do has got to further me along that track. And if it's not furthering me along that God-given track, the trajectory, what am I doing it for? And oftentimes I still do it anyways because there's something in me that wants it for myself. Selfishness. And I need a heart filled with love. You know, people are prejudiced against you. Every society is closed. Capitol Hill is closed. Now, you wouldn't know that right away if you walked up to anybody. If you walked up to a Republican or a Democrat in office or their staff, introduced yourself and reached out, they would be very polite with you, to you. They would talk to you. They'd introduce themselves. They would probably tell you what they were doing in the office and we're working on this. And and they would be very open up to a point, And my wife and I call that being Um, politely, what is it? Professional friendliness. There it is. And it only lasts just uh, maybe two or three minutes. And then there's a hard wall right after that. You get through that and boom, you're not getting any further. And if you want past that wall, you've got to get in that society. I believe that Christ came in the society. He was born into it. Now, you are born into a society and that should be your primary target that you should seek to minister to unless God's given you a call. And a call comes with supernatural empowerment. And God will open things up to you that could never be opened up. And God's done that for us. It's an amazing thing. Nobody ever told me my whole life that I ever looked like JFK not one time we moved to DC and all of a sudden people would stop they asked for my autograph i said i'm just a preacher and it said just just sign it just sign it <laughs> pastor marshall was reminded me of this a guy pulled up at a stoplight I'm outside, and he's looking at me, and he's pointing, he goes, you know, you know. (laughs) There's an opening. That is a supernatural opening that God's given. I didn't know this. Nobody else knew this. And God said, I want you to move right there. Boom. Wow. And God has something like that for you. And you follow that call. But you've got to have a life right with God. You've got to have a heart filled with love. You have to have speech filled with honor. And we're, we're done here. How does this happen? We're going to finish up the chapter. Verse number 24. You've got to be willing to suffer until success. Write that down. Suffer until you succeed. Verse number 24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Now, if you've ever run, you know that your legs start burning, your lungs start burning, you want to quit. You're saying, What in the world am I doing? But you say, I'm ignoring my lungs, I'm ignoring my legs, I am running to win. Verse number 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery, and you want to master something, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to it obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. That is, we are striving to do something eternal. And so reign in and bring under every single desire. I therefore so run. Not as uncertainly. I'm not just kind of running. You know? No, no, no. So fight I not as one that beateth the air, shadow boxing and just kind of mess. Man, he is looking to land it. And that's what you should be doing. Sir, are you looking to land a punch? Uh, I think some of us are afraid of success. We just out there jogging along. Are we looking to win? One receives the prize. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection that that lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. There's been better people than you and I that have failed. I'd like to give this invitation. Let's, let's stand to our feet if we could. Uh, hold on to your Bible. I'm sorry. Hold on to your Bible. I'm sorry. Many of you put it away. Go to back to 1 Corinthians 9. Stand with me. Here's our invitation. And I want us to read verse 26 and verse number 27. Out loud to God and everybody around us. We're in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, and 27. And this is your declaration with Apostle Paul. Here we go. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others... I myself should be a castaway. Father, we ask for your blessing. We need you. Oh, Father, work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we could be a steady, sacrificial, strategic, and successful witness because we have a life right with God, a heart filled with love, and speech filled with honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.